We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a new year and another episode of Home Visit with Tyler Siski and the Associates. We're riding solo today. I don't think that I can make an announcement today, but we're riding solo today. Our good friend DJ Elliott is out of pocket. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have an announcement, an official announcement to make, but he's out of pocket today. Um, I want to say Happy New Year to everyone. I hope everybody got some good family time, which we did uh, as a family. Got to spend a lot of time with the kiddos and then... Uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the bowl games. It was a ton of fun. And by the way, I do want to tell everybody, we went on a little family vacation to Gatlinburg this past week, extremely underrated. Like if you are in the Southeast and need a family getaway, I highly encourage Gatlinburg and we are in Dollywood. So we stayed at the Dollywood Resort and went to Dollywood. It's kind of, it's a little bit better than Six Flags, almost, it's just a little step, I think, under uh, Disney World, had a ton of stuff for the kids. I was really surprised. I showed up, thought I was going, you know, pitch a, pitch a couple balls and try to win some dumb, win some uh, uh, stuffed animals or something, ride a roller coaster too. They had like 10 or 11 roller coasters. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, and some good ones in a lot of shows. So very impressed with Dollywood. So if, if you are looking for a family getaway, I highly encourage it. Uh, did a little snow tubing uh, in, <laughs> with the, on the fake snow. And it was 70, 70, 70 degrees yesterday when we left. And uh, drove, coming back home, drove through a front, woke up this morning, 27 degrees, snow on the ground. And then uh, they had several inches of snow in Gatlinburg after we left. So I'm glad we got out of there before or while we could. So uh, I want to start this thing off and talk a little bit about uh, the bowl season and COVID. You know, when we left, you know, this thing, you know, two weeks ago, nobody was even really talking about how COVID was going to affect uh, the game. And then we had this Omicron, which is the latest of a letter that we get. I'm, I can't wait to see what's next, uh, the next variant we get to, get to uh, deal with. But we had five games canceled uh, because of COVID. And look, we're all getting it. 
Um, it's highly contagious. We're all going to get it probably at some point in time. I mean, we got to move on. I mean, it's been two years. It's time to go. I think everybody's tired of it. I'm tired of it. You're tired of it. Uh, we just need to move on as a society in life. But I found that the two the two that bothered me probably the most were Hawaii and UCLA. Uh, you know, Hawaii going the day before the you know Memphis <laughs> flies out there um, to uh, Hawaii, which is not an easy trip. And then you're 24 hours from kickoff and, and you get told that you're not playing, you know, and then you look at NC state and Dave Doran went nuts. And I loved it. I got to get Dave Doran on this show. That's what I'm going to do. My, my mission, my mission in this offseason, I'm going to get Dave Doran on this show. Um, him and I, it seems like we could get along. We have a lot of same, uh, a lot of same thought processes when it comes to how things work. Uh, so I got to get him on the show, but you know, they're, they're like five hours from kickoff or something crazy, and they find out that UCLA's out, you know. And, and look, we'll never know, and I think there's there's media reports. But, look, some of these reports are just people trying to get clicks, and the media has never been – and some are great. That's the thing that's hard with the media. Some people tell you the truth and are honest, and some people are just trying to get clickbait. So you really never know how bad it was. But I think some people opted out of or, you know, canceled the bowl games probably because of serious issues as far as they had a bunch of people that were sick, and I get that. But I also think, and there's no way to prove it, but I do think there are some cases where there were some people kind of using it as a get-out-of-jail-free card because you can't question it. You can't say you can't, you know, you can't question when in today's society it's you'll get buried if you say, oh, you're, you're just trying to back out of the game. You know, you'll get you, – you don't think people would do that, but I, I think it may have occurred uh, in some cases. I, I can't prove it, and I don't think anybody can, but uh, it's kind of, you know, it's amazing that the college football playoff teams, they didn't have any issues with it. Um, you know, I think when people wanted to play, they found a way to play, and that's just my opinion. And I think, you know, even the CDC knocking the uh, the quarantine days down to five, I think even the, even the government's getting tired of it, I think. So – you know, I think that's going to help uh, do that. And, and while we're on this, big kudos to the NFL, big kudos. And they, they became, I guess this past week, became the first sports organization. They had a player test positive after the last game and actually played in the next game. So he, they didn't miss a game. Now, it hurt them a little bit. Well, that was Carson Wentz, the quarterback for the Colts. They ended up losing a big game yesterday to the uh, Raiders. But – you know, good for them. They moved on. I think the NFL saw it was getting close to playoff time, and they were, you know, saw what really happened. You know, the Browns, Cleveland Browns season really has struggled because of that uh, at, at the wrong time with key players. Uh, but they saw kind of how it was affecting the league, especially in playoff time and getting close to the playoffs. And I, and I think they just said, the hell with it. We're, we're going to five days, and, and we're going from there. So, um, good for those guys on that. And I think that's, you know, you treat it, that's the same way it's treated with the flu, you know, which is, you know, college football and, and sports teams have been dealing with forever. Um, because at the end of the day, they're the, they're the most in-shape people. You know, if there's no issues, let them go. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And we know this disease now affects their people in different ways. So let's talk about a little bit about uh, the coaching carousel. I think for the most part, I think the the head coaching carousel. I think you may or may not have uh, a coach go to the NFL from college. Uh, I think the Urban Meyer thing probably put a little halt to that a little bit. But the one I want to talk about that's very interesting to me, and it's a very interesting situation, is UCLA. Uh, for the fans out there that don't know, uh, Chip Kelly's buyout goes to zero dollars and zero cents on both sides. Okay. Um, that's if he wants to leave and take another job or if 
uh, UCLA wants to move on on January the 16th. Okay. So as we're talking to you on Monday, today's the third. So you're, you're about two weeks away, a little less than two weeks away. By the time you listen to this, about 10 days away from figuring out, you know, what's going to happen. And it, does UCLA move on or, or does Chip Kelly move on? Because here's the truth, right? So at the end of the day, he's working on a one-year contract. Okay, you can't work if you're let's, – let's look at it both sides, okay? Let's look at it from – let's start with UCLA side. All right, so if I'm at UCLA and I'm in the administration at UCLA and the buyout goes to zero on January 16th, okay, and my head coach is working on a one-year contract, all right, your initial fear to make the move is, well, if we make a move this late before signing day, it's going to kill recruiting. You're already killing recruiting, okay, because a coach that's working on a one-year contract – is going to get slaughtered in recruiting for the whole next year, okay, and probably for two classes, okay, and especially at that level. And you're out there on the West Coast, and, and you've been, you know, and you're a, a big-time program on the West Coast, and arguably, you know, for years you were probably second in the Pac-12 or going to recruit, and then Washington comes in, and then Oregon comes in. And so you're at fourth, and then all of a sudden, now you got Utah that's hot. you got Arizona State that's hot. Uh, for different reasons, but you're you're starting to slide down the pecking order of the Pac-12. If you go into next season with your head coach on a one-year contract, you're not signing anybody. You're not getting anybody. And the same thing. Now you look at Chip Kelly from his his standpoint. He doesn't want to coach under a one-year window because he knows that he's not going to be able to get the talent that he needs to win, and it's going it's going to make his job that much more difficult by doing the job that he's supposed to do. And when you're on a one-year deal and everybody's going to, you know, use that against him. And if you think now for for years, the Pac-12 and West Coast recruiting was not what I call as aggressive as it is in the, in the Southeastern Conference or even this side, you know, you deal with so much negative recruiting and just dog-eat-dog world in recruiting in the SEC and the ACC and, and, and down in the Southeast because it's so competitive over recruits. While on the West Coast, things are a little bit laid back. You know, you kind of – there's not as many schools to choose from, premier schools, and you kind of can go get who you want. There's plenty of players. It's just not as dog-eat-dog world. And then all of a sudden, this guy named Mario Cristobal showed up into, into Eugene. And Mario comes from a dog-eat-dog world in recruiting as a big-time recruiter. And he goes out and gets very aggressive. What makes everybody else step up their game? Okay. But Mario got all the players on the on the left coast, as I like to call it. Okay. Well, now you got Dan Lanning coming into Oregon, who's the same way. Okay. And then you got Lincoln Riley coming into USC in your town. Okay. They just spent the, they just made him the highest paid coach in the NCAA in your town. You're going to be going after the same kids. And they just made him basically. He's going to be there for a while, for a long while. And you're sitting here with going into the season with a coach on a one-year contract? That doesn't – that's not going to be good. So that somebody, there's got to be a decision made on one way or the other. Either, one, they need, to, they need to pay him, and that's the big issue is, like, do you pay the guy after eight and four season? You know, he struggled a little bit coming in, hasn't met up to their expectations. Um, went eight and four this year. Do you pay the guy after that? But there has to be some kind of stability decision made one way or the other. They either A, need to keep him and pay him and, and get him to a, long, a longer-term deal, or B, move on. But by not do, the only decision that's wrong is to not do anything. 
okay, they can either go ahead and move on now, rip the Band-Aid off, and let's go hire a coach, or they extend him. But they need to do one or the other. They don't need to go into a one-year deal because it's going to continue to hurt recruiting as time goes on. So that's something I would keep a really close eye on in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, with the carousel, the assistant coaching carousel is about to crank up and start now that bowl games are ending. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, coaches, which I know a bunch that aren't reported, <laughs> obviously. Uh, you're going to see a lot of uh, coaches come and go, uh, go to different places. And the big thing that I'm interested with is the assistant coaching carousel this year is how many of the players follow their coaches to new stops. That's something that I'm interested with, with the portal the way it is. So let's say that the DB coach here goes to the, another school. Does he take his young players with him? So I'm interested to see how that goes with the assistant coaching carousel. And I'm also interested in, in with these head coaching moves like a Lincoln Riley. Like how many – now that the bowl game is over with, how many kids actually go to USC from – Oklahoma or how many stay. So uh, very interested to see how that works out. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about uh, something else that was a pretty hot topic all over social media last week or so, and that's opt-outs and bowl games. Um, we, we brought this up with DJ, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago, I don't remember now, uh, about, you know, Christian McCaffrey kind of started all this stuff when he was at Stanford, and it was just, you know, unheard of uh, up until that point of players opting out of bowl games. And what you saw is the way that when the bowls went to, you know, coming to BCS, really when the BCS came around, everybody started, there was this big transition to where, you know, there was only really one game that mattered. Okay. And then the playoff comes around, there's two games that matter. And so, you know, back when the BCS was, uh, before the BCS, you would have a lot of times, one didn't play two. So you may have one versus four, one versus five, one versus six, two versus whatever. And there were several bowl games that mattered. And the next thing is like, it is what it is, but kids have changed, you know, when, when, and it's changed quickly and, and you saw it in coaching, you know, you don't, you know, it's old school ways versus new school ways. And I think that, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I kind of bridged the gap and one of, you know, I grew up in the old school way and then kind of ended it in, in the new school way. But, you know, kids have changed, people have changed, and the whole aspect of doing it for school pride, that's kind of gone away. And it's all about, you know, it's a, almost a sense of entitlement, I guess I'd say a little bit on some on some uh, aspects of that. Or what can, it's, now the kids want to know, what can you do for me? It's not what they can do for the school, it's what can the school do for me? Um, and is there is there wrong with that? I mean, I don't. It's, it doesn't matter if it's wrong or not because that's the way it is, and that's just the way kids are raised now. And and it's just that's the problem that we have out there. All right, but if when kids opt out of bowl games, here's my opinion. I can solve this real quick. There's no debate on my end. It's up to the kid. Okay, does the kid want to play? Let him play. If he doesn't want to play, don't put him out there. Don't. There's no sense in fussing about it because there's nothing you can do about it. If I'm a coach. You know, and this is one thing that, you know, Nick Saban harped on, harped on, harped on, harped on. Control what you can control. So if I'm a coach and I got a player that wants to opt out, I may talk to him about it, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And it, it will blow your mind as a coach, and, and a lot of you guys listening have probably been through this. When it comes to the NFL and money, okay, you can be as close as you want to be with a kid. But when it comes to the NFL and money, they will not listen to you for one second. 
Okay, so they're going to make their decisions. They got people that will come into their life, whether they're agents or street agents or whoever, that will that will be in their ear that they will listen to more than they're going to listen to you. Okay, I've had it happen to me personally. It blew my mind. It still does, but uh, because I'm not getting paid a dollar out of this, and and you know all of a sudden that you know people start getting in their ear and giving them bad information. But when it comes to you know some players do need to play. Okay, so let's take an example like Bailey Zappi at Western Kentucky. Okay, Bailey Zappi's at Western Kentucky. He needs that extra film. He needs to be on the stage to show people that he can play. When you're at a group of five school and you're going to play the big boys, if you're at Houston and you're going to play Auburn in the bowl game, guess what? When a scout comes to watch you, guess what the first game he's going to turn on is? He's going to turn on the Auburn game because he wants to see you against SEC talent. That's what they always do. When we were at Arkansas State and we were playing, you know, we play Virginia Tech or we play whoever. That's the games that the scouts want to watch because they want to see you compete against higher a higher talent. Okay, it's which is also why I think the portal is going to be nuts. Okay, if you're a, if you're really a prospect at a group of five school going to a bigger school because people are going to get in your ear about it. All right, but they need the film, so they're going to play. But when you're with a, if you're at an SEC school, okay, and you've played an SEC schedule, you've played twelve games, and ten of those twelve games are against you know big time opponents. You really don't need the film. One game's not going to change anything. So if you're a big-time NFL prospect and you want to opt out, opt out. Do I like it? No, I don't. I wish they'd all play. I think it, it makes for an inferior product, okay, for, for the betterment of the game. But is anything I'm going to say or you're going to say or anybody else going to say make a difference? No. So don't worry about things you can't control, okay? And so if college football wants to make a better product, they'll create an environment where there are fewer opt-outs, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But the last thing is when a player opts out, it's not always bad. And I want to say that too from a coach's standpoint. It's not always bad. So let's take Ohio State, for example. They had their two best receivers opt out. Well, guess what they got to do? They got to play these young guys that are talented, okay? And you kind of get – not only do you get extra practices because in coaching you'll learn this, okay? And, And coaches know this. They're listening. But fans need to know this. You can recruit a really talented kid, okay? But if he's not playing during the season, he's not really locked in, especially if he's on scout team or even if he's not on scout team. But if he's in your position meetings, he's not really locked into the game because he knows he's not going to play on Saturday. But all of a sudden, you got to put that kid, He's got. he knows he's got to play, okay? He's going to be a little bit more locked in. He's going to get a little bit better effort in practice. He's going to know that he's in the mix and he's going to do better because he's invested because he knows he's about to play. And so I think sometimes when you do have a ton of opt-outs, it does help you prepare and get and see really what you got and helps the development of younger players because you got basically 15 practices plus a game against good competition to see kind of what, you know, kind of get an evaluation. The other thing now with the portal is if let's take Luke Altmaier, for example, and then Lane Kiffin's got to answer this question. It doesn't matter for me or a fan or anybody. If you're an Ole Miss fan, which we know have a ton listening, it doesn't matter. But Lane Kiffin basically got three and a half quarters to figure out does he need to go get a quarterback or not. He got three and a half quarters of live evaluation with Luke Altmaier versus a really good defense. Okay. And he got to see is this the guy that I can build and move on with or not? But there's no way you can you can practice all you want to. But until live bullets fire, you don't really know what you have, especially at that position. Okay, but I think that's a it's not always a bad thing. So 
Uh, now the only bad thing is 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 when you when you play a game with and you're down a bunch of people and it doesn't go the way you want it to go, the fans are on you and it kind of heats up your seat a little bit and you got to deal with it the entire off season about how bad you how poorly you performed in the bowl game, um, and you kind of lose you know that that part of it. But you know nobody remembers a year from now and nobody remembers. <clears throat> so that's that's the deal with opt outs. Now let's talk about how it can be fixed. How can we make this college product better? Okay, I've had a lot, I had a long long drive yesterday, so I had a lot of time to think about this. Okay, um, we talked about it a little bit better, but expanding the playoffs. Okay, so now instead of going from four teams that that are in Alabama didn't have any opt outs, Georgia didn't have any opt outs, Michigan didn't have any, Cincinnati didn't have any because they're playing for something. So let's make the product better on the field and let's expand this thing to sixteen games, not twelve, sixteen teams, not twelve, sixteen. Okay, because it's the same amount of the games. It's four additional games. Okay, and by doing that, and here's the way, and we're, well, let's talk about player safety. Okay, well, let's talk about player safety. Okay, well, they're already playing 15 games. Okay, Alabama and Georgia are going to be playing their 15th game this week. Okay, both of them going to be playing their 15th game because they played 12 regular season. They played the 13th, which is the SEC championship game, 14th is a semifinal, and both of them are playing 15 games this week. Okay, and most teams that do make it to the uh, last game, they do play 15 games. The occasional, I think Alabama didn't play in the SEC championship game, whatever it was, uh, they played 14 or whatever, whoever it was. But for the most part, they're playing 15 games already. So here's what you do. Let's talk about player safety. So everybody talks about the reason that they, you know, the 15 games, which you just talked about, but the player safety part is if you move it back to 11 games, okay, then give every other team you have an additional bye week. Okay, so and you can spread out the bye weeks to give guys a week off because when it comes to injuries and things like that, a bye week, man, is like it, it's that's that's what you need is you need rest. Okay, and so I think that would help safety taking a, taking an a extra bye week, and then and then you go to the sixteen team playoff and and like we talked about, okay, to get a better get better product. Okay, so on championship week you have ten championship game or you have ten championship games. Okay, and your ten winners get in. Okay, so everybody from the Mountain West to the Sun Belt to the SEC, ACC, if you win your league, you get in the playoff. And then you have six teams that are picked by the committee, same committee you've already had, so everybody still has their prestige and all that stuff. You have Now instead of picking four teams, they pick six. Okay, you pick a top six teams as an at-large deal, and you have a 16-team playoff, which, by the way, FCS or 1AA or whatever you want to, that's what they started with. A hundred years ago, they had a 16-team playoff. Okay, now it's moved to 2024, whatever it is now, but you started with 16 teams. Now, every single team that plays FBS football, 130, and there's adding teams and all that stuff because we know Jacksonville State's coming in. We know old, uh, not old, I mean, James Madison, those Sam Houston, those schools are coming in. Every team to the start of the year has a chance to make the playoff. Now, let's say this. Let's say my man Rich Rod comes into Conference USA and he goes and he wins the he wins the league and he gets in the playoff. How do you think that's going to help him in recruiting? He's going to be able to go get good players better than he's normally been able to get. So now you have a better product because you're able to go recruit on a national stage, even though you don't have the budget and even though you don't have the prestige that all these other schools have. When you're making the playoff every single year, like look what's happened to Cincinnati, look what's happened to Central Florida, look what happened to Boise. When they started making these premier games and started getting national attention, they were able to recruit better, and they were able to put a better product consistently on the field. So 
if you've got a team that starts, you get down like in a Sun Belt, you get a, a ULL where Billy is there. If he starts winning championships and or App State or whoever it is, you're able to compete on the national stage. You're going to be able to recruit better players. And so the whole product gets better that way. Two is this, is now on the these these Tuesday night matchings and fun belt games, all of a sudden they become a little bit more interesting for TV ratings because that game actually means something in the big national picture. You're going to have more attention and more money dumped into college football from an advertising standpoint. Now, when we talk about the games, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, but when you when you look at these bowl games, very few of them sell out. Okay, which ones sell out? The college football playoff sells out in the Rose Bowl, you know, the, the normal ones. But, you know, the Gator Bowl and all that stuff, they don't sell out all the time. Now, on occasion they will if they have a team that hasn't been in a bowl game for a while or a team that travels well. If they get lucky with the matchup they get, like Central Florida and Florida playing in that uh, bowl game in Orlando was a dream come true. Okay, Auburn playing in the Birmingham Bowl was a dream come true for the Birmingham Bowl because they're getting those fans and able to sell tickets. That doesn't happen often. Okay, when you get when you get Vanderbilt versus uh Vanderbilt versus East Carolina, the Birmingham Bowl is not selling out. So what you do is that first round, you can do one or two things. One, you can play it on the home site, which I think is a good idea if if you want to, you know, make money for the schools. But if you're trying to if if this is about saving the bowl games, then you just make the first round the next eight bowl games. So take about this. You've got the Citrus, the Outback, the Vegas Bowl, Holiday Bowl, Sun Bowl, Gator Bowl, Alamo Bowl, and the Houston Bowl, whoever. And that's your first-round games. Now, you don't think those those bowl games would love to have a uh, first-round college football playoff as their bowl game? you damn right they would. Okay, that way everybody gets a bowl experience. But two is they're going to sell out the game, which is where they make their money. They're going to get better advertisers because that's where they make their money. So their revenue in the bowl games is going to go up on eight bowl games that don't get it. Now, once you get past the first round, your second round, and your I guess you call it the quarterfinals and semifinals, you go to the New Year's Six games like you've been doing forever, and you rotate the two for the semifinals just like you're doing now. You don't have to change anything. So you got the peach, the cotton, the orange, the sugar, okay? Um, who else is the other one? I don't even know. But you got those six games that they rotate. Okay, and then and then that's your your semis and your and your uh, quarterfinal games, and then the championship game, just like it is now, it's on a rotation. So you don't have to change very many things to do this, and you increase the quality of the product. And when you have sixteen teams that are in bowl games, guess what? You have less opt outs. Okay, and so your product's better, and you don't have to deal with all this mess. Okay. And here's number the, the last part we talked about a couple weeks ago, too, that I think that's important. Now let's talk about you just took eight bowl games away, right? Well, now you don't have to – six and six not good enough anymore. So now your lower bowl games, instead of having six and six versus six and six, you may have eight and four or nine and three versus nine and three in some lower-tier bowl games. Well, now the Birmingham Bowl or, you know, this bowl game they made up in Texas just to get people in – well, now they're getting a better game and able to sell more tickets. They're able to sell more advertising because they have a higher quality opponent, higher quality games. So I think, in my opinion, that's the way to fix it. Uh, will they listen? Probably not. But I think that's a very easy way to fix this thing. And, and the 12-game the twelve game playoff doesn't do anything but give people bye weeks. It's still the same amount of games. For, if, if Alabama's a five seed and they, they're still going to have to play four games, okay, 
it just makes the first through fourth seed only have to play three. Okay, so I think the reward is is if you if the higher the better you do in the seeding, then you get to play a, a weaker opponent in round one. But let's 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 bump it up to uh, sixteen teams and, and let's go play. All right, since we since we left you last time, we've we've had all the all the bowl games except for the big one, and I guess LSU and Kansas State's playing on Tuesday. But after you listen to this on Wednesday, that they would have already played. Uh, but most of the bowl games have been played, and I love the uh, the media's version of uh, the SEC's really struggling and the SEC this and that, and because they started off like zero and four or whatever, zero and five. I don't remember what it was, but uh, all that talk stopped after New Year's Eve. And, you know, the reason, like we talked about, is the SEC probably had the most opt-outs. Um, and they didn't really uh, – a ton of, like, six and six, seven and five SEC teams. But you saw the teams that really that really played really well in the bowl games from the SEC standpoint is you saw South Carolina play well, a team that's up and coming, that was excited to be there, hadn't been there in a while. They came out and really played really well. I thought Tennessee played well. They played – and Purdue played well. That was a great game. Probably one of the best bowl games – of the season was the Tennessee-Purdue game. I hope everybody got a chance to see that in the Music City Bowl. But Tennessee was excited to be there. It was a great, phenomenal game. It was a very controversial ending. If that wasn't a touchdown, I don't know what is. I can't believe they reviewed it and still said it wasn't a touchdown. Uh, it was embarrassing because you could hear the whistle um, in the replay, and he was not down, and he was already crossed it when they marked him down. Uh, very bad call, but, you know, they, everybody makes mistakes. That one probably bothered me the most because I can see the official making a mistake, but when you review it, you shouldn't make the mistake. That was an easy call. It cost Tennessee the ball game, but a very well-played game on both sides of the ball, very entertaining. Um, And then you you look at at teams that didn't want to be there. I I think Auburn had – you know, you're you're playing with Finley instead of Bo Nix. He's gone already decided he's going to Oregon. You know, Roger McCreary's out. Uh, they had a ton of players opt out. And then Houston's got something to prove, right? The group of five school that come there were excited to be there. They win the game. Uh, and it was a struggle. That was my first sign, by the way, that Cincinnati was going to struggle against Alabama. That was my first sign because Auburn played terrible. Auburn didn't want to be there. Uh, the only people that wanted to be at that game were the Auburn fans. They looked excited to be there, but the players didn't. Um, and and Houston played as about as good as they can play and, and had to had to get with it to win. I thought uh, – it was uh, that was probably my first sign, but uh, let, let's get the to me the the best bowl game besides the Tennessee Purdue game was definitely the Utah Ohio State. Uh, if you if you did not watch the Rose Bowl, then you you missed out on life. That was a great 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 game. Uh, Ohio State had the receivers opt out. They had I don't know seven eight starters out, um, and they and they looked shell shocked. The first Utah had like eighty percent of the fans there were Utah fans. Uh, they came out all fired up, jumped up, scored 35 points in the first uh, first half. And then Ohio State got it fixed at halftime and came out, and then it was just the opposite in the second half. And there was literally no defense at all. It was like watching my kids play a video game. Um, I, I've never – I mean, it was, some of it was lack of effort. I mean, I saw people not really trying. It was it was crazy. Uh, the quarter, As soon as the quarterback went out for – uh, Utah, they had a walk-on freshman playing quarterback at Utah. Um, and he comes in, he threw a touchdown pass, but, you know, it was just struggling. I was really surprised that Utah didn't go for two at least at the last score to, to try to uh, do something. But Ohio State came down, kicked the field goal, win the game. Uh, but just a really entertaining game on, on that aspect. Um, but probably the best bowl game to really watch uh, the, of the big bowl games was definitely Utah-Ohio State. All right, the, ne- the next one we'll talk about is Sugar Bowl with Ole Miss and Baylor. 
Uh, Matt Corral getting hurt uh, kind of dominated the storylines. Uh, a lot of people, um, that's when all the opting in, opting out, should he have played, should he not have played. Everybody on Twitter had an opinion. Um, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. The only person's opinion that matters is Matt Corral's, okay? He wanted to play. He's a competitor. I know the kid, okay? There was a 0.0% chance he wasn't playing that game, okay, because that's who he is. He's a competitor. He wants to play. If you lined up right now, okay, if you if right now uh, Dave Aranda and Lane Kiffin got together and said, hey, look, we want to meet, let's meet in a parking lot, okay, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, in the Walmart parking lot and play again, Matt Corral would play. Okay, he loves the game. He's a competitor. He would play. That's who he is. And you got to understand this too, guys. It's like thing you can't go into a game, and I believe this, you can't go into a game worrying about getting hurt. And Matt Corral was not. If you try to play the game of football, it's a violent game. Always has been, always will be. They can change all the rules they want to about targeting. They can change all the rules they want to about, you know, hits on the quarterback below the waist. It's a violent game. It's a dangerous game. And everybody that ever puts the helmet on understands that. But guess what? You still play because you love the game. And that's who he is. He loves the game. He's going to play. So some guy on Twitter who has a blue check mark that wants to come out and say that he shouldn't have played and this is why he shouldn't play and all the media, nobody gives a shit what you think. Okay, because it's what the player wants to do. And, you know, if Matt came out and said he didn't want to play, who cares that he didn't want to play? You're not going to go out and force the guy to play. You want somebody that doesn't want to play playing quarterback? No. You don't want anybody worrying about getting hurt. He wanted to compete. He wanted his legacy to go down, and that's what he did. Good for him. Good for him because that's who he is. And, and I'm, I don't want to – I think that discussion needs to be over with. Okay, but did he get hurt? Yes, and I've heard, and I, I don't, I haven't talked to Matt, so I don't know. But um, X-rays were negative. I, I think Lane Kiffin said that in his press conference. Um, but regardless of what what happened, it's not going to affect his draft status. Okay, he'll be fine. He'll be ready to go for pro day and for the combine and all that stuff. It's not going to affect his draft status, um, and it may even help him because he went out and played. I, if I was an NFL GM, that would matter to me. I'm just going to be honest. If I was an NFL GM, which I'm not, never was going to be one, but if I was an NFL GM and I had to pick between a kid and I didn't have anything else to to pick between but competitive character, he's definitely got that, okay? And he, he knows, and the NFL will get him right. You know, you gotta you got to be smart taking hits because the NFL is a longer season and you got to take care of your body, and he's not the biggest guy. He's like a buck 90 right now. He's been a little bit bigger before, but – He's not ever going to get above 210, probably, I imagine, in the NFL, even when he gets older. Um, he'll always take care of his body. He's done a great job with that the last couple of years. And, you know, that's just who he is. He's got to be careful about taking hits. But so does so does Kyler Murray. I mean, any quarterback in the NFL has to be careful, and I, he'll learn that. Um, and that's probably if you had a knock on the guy going to the NFL, that's probably the one thing is like, hey, look, we appreciate you trying to run over linebackers and stuff, but you got to calm that calm that stuff down in the 16-game season. Um, but extremely talented. I don't think it's going to affect his draft status. I think he'll be a first-round quarterback. And while I'm on it, we'll talk about the NFL stuff later. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But, look, before we even get on that, somebody was trying to tell me about mock drafts this morning. There are three first-round quarterbacks. There are three. Okay. You got Matt Corral, the kid from Pitt, and uh, 
Sam Howell from, from North Carolina. Those are the three first-round quarterbacks in the NFL, period. I don't want to hear anything about anybody else. Okay, those are the three guys um, that are first-round NFL quarterbacks. Anybody else that's taken, they're stretching. You are, you are wasting a draft pick. So, um, and while we're on that, if Aiden Hutchinson is picked first by the Jacksonville Jaguars, like one of our favorite people thinking in the mock drafts, I quit. All right, so um, you better go get you a left tackle to protect your quarterback. So, uh, doesn't need to be a first-round pick after Saturday, after what happened the other day. All right, but Ole Miss and Baylor, does, if Matt Corral doesn't get hurt, does that affect the game? Probably. Um, I think Ole Miss had field position and had some things that he probably could have taken advantage of a little bit better. Uh, you put in Luke Altmaier from his first real experience uh, in a college game. He had a couple snaps here and there, but his first real experience in a big-time environment against a big-time opponent, that was – you know, that's that's tough. Uh, Baylor completely dominated uh, the defense line versus Ole Miss's offensive line. Uh, a lot of people didn't realize Jeremy James goes out before Matt Corral. Um, you know, Eli Acker struggled a little bit. Their interior D-line really pushed the pocket well. I think they had, I know, eight sacks at one point in time. There's no telling. I don't know what they ended up with. Um, but here's the thing is Ole Miss's defense kept them in the game. Ole Miss's defense played well enough to win that game. And so when you look at the final score was 21 to 7, 14 of the 21 points came off of turnovers. Okay. So you had the pick six, the first one, which is obvious. And then he throws the pick and they get the ball like the 20. But Baylor really only drove the ball one time down the field and scored. And Ole Miss with Luke through the fade, I think to Braylon and and uh scored their touchdown. But Ole Miss's defense played unbelievable, like just as well as Baylor's did. Just they didn't get the turnovers or the sacks. Uh they did get some negative plays and put them in behind the chains. Uh, Baylor hurt themselves with some penalties offensively, but um, what kind of what I was counting on is if Matt Corral plays that game, I, I still think Ole Miss wins the game. Uh, Would have been tougher, but I did not see uh, that kind of domination up front by the Baylor defensive line. That one, that brought, if anything surprised me, that did. I did see Ole Miss's defense playing that well against Baylor's offense. I just didn't see Baylor's defense playing that well against Ole Miss's offense. So. Um, you know, the thing, the story that we'll never know that I would have loved to seen, uh, and Aranda's a smart guy. He talked about it late, right before kickoff, a day or two before kickoff, was if Matt Corral plays and they're able to get some tempo going, how much that affected the defensive line. But when Luke got in the game and they weren't able to really go tempo and they had to slow things down, that, that was, you know, they were basically huddling almost every play. So uh, they were not, but the same tempo of a huddle. Uh, so that, that probably uh, affected the game. And now – you know, Ole Miss will have to hit the free agency uh, market. You know, they're going to have a ton of – a lot of players and a lot of coaches will come and go. Uh, some are out there, some aren't yet. A lot of players, a lot of coaches will come and go over the next few months. Uh, Ole Miss does have an advantage that they don't start classes uh, here for another couple of weeks, and so they're going to be able to get some guys in uh, in spring, I'm sure. And they only signed 16, I believe, 16, 17. So they have plenty of spots left. Uh, and so uh, you, you're going to see a whole new look. Uh, to the Rebels next next fall, but it's just like free agency, like the Saints are going to have to do after this year. You're, you know, they're they're already seventy million over the cap. They're going to, have to reset, and it's going to be a different looking team and uh, and coaches too. And and so it's going to be a, a really big off season uh, for the Rebels to to decide if they're going to be uh, where they're going to be next year. The uh, schedule starts out well for them to begin the season. Ends ends the ending is very difficult. Uh, so. What happens between now and uh, August 1st is going to be probably determine uh, what the year looks like. It could be as good as it can get. It could be as bad as it can get. It just really depends 
probably the biggest offseason. I would say not probably. I think this is, is the biggest offseason for Lane Kiffin in his career, uh, determining how this is going to end up for him here at uh, at Ole Miss. All right, moving on to the playoff games. We'll start with it in the order. Alabama and Cincinnati. Um, Kind of went like I thought it was going to be, but actually, I got to give I will I will give Cincinnati. Actually, they kept it a little bit closer than I thought they would. Uh, Alabama physically dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides, but Cincinnati did get some pressure on the quarterback, and it wasn't because they had some. They were the Alabama couldn't pick up a twist, which blew my mind. Like Alabama looked like the Alabama going into uh, the what you thought was like that was who they were the last three or four games to where everybody thought Georgia's going to kill them. And they showed up in the SEC championship game and looked like what Alabama used to look like. And then they kind of went back a little bit. They were able to – Cincinnati was able to get pressure on the quarterback and really force Bryce out of the pocket. Like, they didn't really, like, sack him a lot. They didn't really get after him to where it affected things, but it affected the timing and and guys getting open. And I thought that – Cincinnati did a great job on the back end with scramble rules and things like that, really covering the guys up. Cincinnati's game plan, it looked like to me coming in the game, is they were not going to let Williams beat them. One was not going to beat them, and they did everything. They took him out of the game, okay? They had him bracketed. They they left. They put their uh, best corner on him. They did everything they could to keep him from beating them. And so Alabama looked like they realized that pretty early um, and just said, okay. And so they basically averaged like seven or eight yards of carry and just – physically ran right at them and and dominated the game, and they couldn't stop them. Uh, when Alabama – I'd say Alabama stopped themselves. They 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 could have literally just ran, you know, Brian Robinson a thousand times. Now they probably said, okay, we can win. And they, and they started – he would basically get them down the field and they'd try to throw a little bit and then get behind the chains, uh, force some field goals, things like that, missed a field goal. Um, but they just – they just did enough to win. Um, they still covered. They still beat them by 21 points. Um, I really thought it was probably going to be a 30 to 35 point game instead of 21. Uh, but um, they Cincinnati just couldn't match up physically, um, and they, they just couldn't. Um, I still don't think they were number four team in the country, but they got there, so it is what it is. Uh, Alabama kind of got a pass to get into the then get the championship game with that game. Uh, just looked like it was at they were at practice. It was a Tuesday practice for them. They just lined up and went out there and ran at people. Um, and we'll see what happens this next week, which we'll talk about in a second. Moving on to the Georgia-Michigan game. You know, uh, wow, I, this one I didn't expect. Um, I thought that after what the Georgia that showed up to the SEC championship game, uh, they – I don't know what – they they got rid of those guys. Um, complete domination just about in every facet of the game. Um, and I want Michigan fans to know this. Don't feel bad. That, that's what Georgia did to the other 12 weeks, okay? That's what, that, that was what Georgia – that looked like the Georgia-Kentucky game. That, that looked like the Georgia-Florida game. That's what Georgia did to every SEC team they played with the exception of Alabama. That's what, it, that's what happened in that game. Complete domination up front. Couldn't protect. Couldn't couldn't move them up front, and this wasn't a bad offensive line. Now they, they, they won the Joe the Michigan offensive line won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line unit in the country. Fans need to know that they're good, and Georgia just it was bad. I mean they they completely and utterly dominated the game on both sides of the ball. And look, Aiden Hutchinson, look, good player, high motor guy, good player. Was he the second best player? He finished second in the Heisman Trophy. Was non-existent. 
and was getting murdered up front. He had no chance. And to say that guy's going to be the first pick in the draft, come on now. Like, I don't see it. But, I mean, he had a, he's a great motor guy. Somebody's going to take him. He'll play. But he's not – I mean, he, he, he wouldn't be in the top 25 guys, edge rushers in the NFL. Now, if you want to talk about opt-outs, we can talk about an opt-out. All right. Will Anderson, if Will Anderson would come out in the draft right now, I think he'd be the number one pick. And he's got another year. Like, good luck to you in the in, – in, like, good luck. Like, somebody's going to try to get in that kid's ear. And the good thing he's at Alabama and Nick will talk to him. But he literally – I haven't seen a situation like this since uh, Jadavion Clowney. When Clowney was a sophomore, everybody knew that he was going to be the number one pick in the draft the next year. Okay, he had a whole other year at South Carolina. you got the same thing with Will Anderson at Alabama. Okay, and I haven't seen it since. Well, that's been, what, eight, nine years ago now? So I think Will Anderson's the the number one pick in the draft for, what, two years from now, whatever. It's kind of like Trevor Lawrence. I guess we thought we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be a number one pick um, for a while. But um, no-brainer, and he'll have to come back and play another year. You wait, somebody's going to get in his ear and try to get him to opt out for his for this year. But he won't because he's a baller and he's a competitor um, for that. But um, just really uh, impressed with what Georgia did uh, really everywhere. Stetson Bennett came out through the ball. They had matchups, tight ends dominated, uh, running backs, offensive line, defense line. They they literally dominated the game and played like they've been playing. Michigan never had a chance um, at all in the game. At least you could say Cincinnati against Alabama when the muff punt happened. If Cincinnati would have recovered, that ball would have made it interesting for a little while. Do I think they would have won the game? No. Uh, but there was no chance of life at all in this game. Um, they did not score a touchdown until they pulled everybody out of the game, um, which sets up arguably the matchup that nobody's going to know how to how to act next next week which is the Alabama-Georgia National Championship game next Monday night uh, in Indianapolis. I think it's hilarious that now they got to travel to Indianapolis to play. They could just let's line it up and play in Atlanta again, uh, save some travel. So Alabama and Georgia is probably one of the most interesting um, matchups in a long time, and I really don't know which way to go with this one. I th- I'll, I'll make a pick at the end of this, but, you know – it's so eerily similar. I know I'm sure we'll hear every storyline there is in the next, you know, 10 days. But we've already done this for a week, so I, I don't know if the media is just going to rinse and repeat what they did, you know, for a week, a, a month ago, or are they going to come out with some new storylines. But here was the interesting thing for me I thought about uh, over the weekend is when Nick Saban was at, when he came to Alabama, his first year he went 6-6 six and six and lost to Louisiana Monroe, by the way, uh, but went 6-6. Six and six. And when he came to Alabama, there was a dominant program in the SEC called the Florida Gators, and they had a head coach named Urban Meyer, and they were kind of dominating the SEC, all right? And in year two, in 2008, Nick Saban goes undefeated in the regular season. I don't know if it was 11 or 12 games, but goes undefeated in the regular season. And then they had to play, um, in 2008, play Florida, the dominant Florida in the SEC championship game and got beat. Okay, they got beat. And then in year three in 2009, they go undefeated again and had to play the Florida Gators again. Okay, so they had to play them again. So it's year three, had to play them again, and they and they finally beat them. They beat Florida. And then once they beat Florida in 2009, Florida and Alabama were like two ships passing in the night. Okay, Alabama became who Alabama is today. 
and I want everybody to think about this. Since 2000, since that 2009 game, Alabama has only, in my to my recollection, only played in two or three games that wasn't for the national title. Basically, they played 2010. They had to play in a Citrus Bowl. 2013, they won in 11, 12, 2013, played in the Sugar Bowl, but lost the kick six game. That was when Florida State won it. And then went on a run. And then I think they, what, last year, two years ago, 19 or whatever, three years ago, they played in the Citrus Bowl again in like 18, 19, whatever it was. And when LSU won it. And they've been on their run ever since that day. Well, look at Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart gets to Georgia. They go seven and five the first year. In year two, the man's Nick Saban now. So he has to go play Nick in the national championship game and had him beat, had him beat and lost on the uh, Devontae Smith and to a fade. Okay. And then has lost to him in the SEC championship game twice, lost to him in 2020 regular season. And so where Nick Saban's arch nemesis when he came to the SEC was Urban Meyer at Florida and he had to overcome that dragon. Now Kirby's is his mentor, Nick Saban, and he's got to overcome it. Okay, and he's been close every time. The difference was I think he's got the team now to do it. I think he's more dominant. I think he's got matchups that he can that he can win. Um, I think that Georgia uh, wins this game. I think this is the time. I think Georgia wins it. I think they – I think, one, it's hard to beat a team twice. Okay, and the other thing is Alabama had the perfect game plan against Georgia. They caught Georgia. They just Georgia didn't look like Georgia. They didn't just effort wise. I know that sounds crazy, but effort wise up front defensively, they were you know just they were almost like they were two gapping all the way across the front. There was no penetration. Uh, they never won a pass rush battle. They never really got after the quarterback, and they just let him sit back there and pick him apart. Well, he is the Heisman Trophy winner. Okay, if you let him sit back there and pick you apart, he's going to do that. Um, I think they they looked better on the back end against Michigan. They had plenty of time to get those things fixed. And you got to get over right now. This is the mental hurdle. Okay. This is the this is George's Roger Bannister moment. Okay. And if you don't know who Roger Bannister is, he was the first person to ever run the four minute mile. People thought it was impossible that you could never run. They thought, I mean, there were scientists that said it the human would die. They could not physically run a four minute mile. Could never be done ever before. And so finally, I don't know what year it was. I probably should have looked it up. That just came off the top of my head. But in the 50s, I think, he goes and runs a four-minute mile. Well, like in the next year, like I, there was tens of people that run for Once one person broke it, tens of people knew it was possible, and they were able to do it. And this is Georgia's Roger Banneker, Roger Bannister moment. They, they have to go in there, and they have to win. And I think if they win, I think Georgia takes off. They're set up to take off. Um, they have the players. They have the resources. Um, they have the coaches. I think this is the this is their defining moment. I think it's time. They got the ability. They can do it. I think they know they can do it. From the Alabama standpoint, they got Alabama's best shot. Okay, and Alabama beat them, but Georgia didn't. Georgia beat themselves a little bit too. They moved the football. It wasn't like Georgia didn't move the football in the SEC championship game. They turned the ball over. They lost. Turned it over on downs. And Alabama was given their best shot, and it was throwing the football. I think Georgia's ready. I think now's the time. Uh, I think Georgia gets after them. Um, I just don't think Alabama can do it twice. I'll be the guy. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, even though the Nick is going to use that they're underdogs again to his players, he'll get, they'll be motivated, ready to go. 
They're underdogs uh, again, even after they beat, beat the brakes off a month ago. And then Kirby is going to use it. Well, they beat us underdogs. So every, both coaches are going to, you know, motivate their kids that they're underdogs and they can't win. So somebody's got to give. But I think it's the time. I think now's the time uh, for that to happen. Uh, we'll be very interested to see uh, a lot of, if you're a football, you know, I think a lot of fans are tired of the SEC uh, versus the SEC thing. But, I mean, it's a playoff now. You had your chance. Big Ten failed. Uh, I guess you can call Cincinnati Group of Five, but they're fixed to be a, uh, a Big 12 team. Big Ten failed. But, you know, everybody's had their shot, but we end up here we are with Alabama and Georgia. And I think if anybody's being honest with yourself, regardless if you what fan of that you are, these are the two best teams this year. Uh, the only one that I could have made an argument with was I still think Ohio State uh, is in that conversation when they're healthy and, and they're going. Uh, but besides those three fan bases, there's really not an argument. And then, you know, Ohio State, you can't be really mad because they lost to Michigan and they lost to, they lost two to Oregon and Michigan. Um, but I still think as a team on like any given day, like if this was the NFL and you got 16 shots at it in the playoffs, Ohio State would, would have a shot. Uh, they are a talented team. But at the end of the day, these two teams, you know, they 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 got through the gauntlet, and they're probably the two best teams out there, again, with the argument of Ohio State. So uh, I'm going with Georgia uh, winning the game. I don't even know – I know it's like two and a half or three. I'm just going with Georgia to win the game, money line, I guess. But um, I do think it will be a good game. I do think this is the time. This is the Roger Bannerker moment. They got to come with it. This this weekend and next week, early next week, we are going to be at the uh, AFCA football convention. Uh, we'll be at the booths uh, at Quick U in our booth. We'll be right next to Quick Cut. Uh, so, coaches, come by and see us. It'll be myself, uh, Clay Carter, and Raquel will be there as well uh, at the convention. So, come by and see us. Give us a shout at the, at our Quick U booth. Check out our product. Uh, we got a ton of teams swapping over this month. It's been a busy, busy, busy uh, couple of weeks here. Uh, but come check us out. Uh, make your recruiting system and more efficient and better. Uh, we have our, uh, our you product is uh, state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, never been done before in recruiting, and it's really turning some uh, eyes and ears in the market. And uh, we'd love to see you and talk to you. Uh, we'll be there through Tuesday morning, and then we're getting out of there as well. Um, and then we'll – I don't know when we're going to tape. We'll figure out a time to tape next week, but uh, we'll be moving on and, and look forward to – uh, what's coming up for the spring and, and uh, recruiting and all that good stuff. But until next time, take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.